Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. You're We're listening back. to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We are in veg- educating, excuse me, the investors of the South Shore in the Merrimack Valley. I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. We're talking about new legislation in the world of, well, a little bit in the world of taxes, mostly in the world of retirement plans and some changes changes there that were um, enacted at the end of 2019 here. The SECURE Act. Do you remember what it stands for? No, of course not. I just was hoping you would take care of it again. All right. I love acronyms. Uh, Setting every community up for retirement enhancement. Love it. Um, yeah, so some some changes that for the most part are good, I think, and affect uh, many Americans. We talked about um, some of the bigger ones, which are delaying required distributions from IRAs uh, to age 72, previously age 70 and a half. People that are already in RMDs um, are, are not affected. They still have to continue taking their required distributions. Uh, but if you didn't turn 70 and a half by 12, 31 and 19, you can delay your first one till age 72. So that's great. Uh, what's maybe not so great part of this legislation is that um, people inheriting retirement accounts from non-spouses are no longer able to stretch those out and take life expectancy payments for their lifetime. That has been eliminated. Uh, and now people that inherit, uh, with, with some exceptions, most people that inherit retirement accounts from a non-spouse uh, have to fully withdraw all the funds in that retirement account uh, by 10 years after date of death of that person. Uh, 10 years, still a relatively long time. Used to be either five years or required distributions for your life, but uh, no more, no longer ability to take life expectancy payments. You just have to draw it out in 10 years in whatever manner you choose. Could be evenly over 10 years, could be ad hoc over 10 years, could be once at the end of 10 years, could be once at the beginning. Um, so flexible, but no. Uh, the new the new rule is 10 years for a non-spouse. Spouses, of course, can continue to treat inherited retirement accounts from their spouse as their own. So no change to that. Um, we talked about like, you know, if you have trusts named as beneficiaries on retirement accounts, make sure you talk to your estate planning attorney to see if there should or, or any changes necessary to that. Because trusts, being a non-spouse, no longer have the ability to take life expectancy payments on a retirement account either. So uh, that is that is a change that should be reviewed if you you've done any trust work and have a trust named as a beneficiary on your retirement account. Um, 
Let's talk. You want to talk about IRA contributions yes. post 70 and a half and how yes. that has changed? Yes. So in the past, uh, the rule has been, you know, once you reach 70 and a half, that was the, you know, which is also the, you know, the old required minimum distribution age. Yeah. Um, you were no longer able to make a uh, IRA contribution. Um, so, you know, traditional IRA is, you know, basically, you know, you, you know, you write a check, you know, out of your, you know, personal checkbook and, um, you know, put it into an IRA and based on certain, you know, certain income limitations and things like that, then you could, you could, uh, theoretically deduct that, that money from your taxable income, uh, for the year. Uh, but, but once you reach 70 and a half, you were no longer able to do that. So one of the new, uh, the new rules of this Secure Act is that uh, that you are able to do that. Uh, so now going forward, uh, even even after you reach age seventy and a half, you can make a traditional IRA contribution. Um, you know, one caveat is that in order to do that, you have to have earned income right. uh, for for the year in which you're making the contribution, and that's always that's always been the case. Right, you always have to have earned income to make a retirement contribution. Right. So, yeah. so for example, so say you know, say you're seventy, you know, you're seventy one, uh, but you're still working. Uh, you know, you still have, you know, whether it's maybe it's maybe it's just part time or whatever it is. Um, if you have earned an income and you'd like to put it into an IRA to you know reduce your tax uh, taxable income, you can now do and that. to save for retirement and save for retirement, <laughs> you can now do that. Um, yeah. You know, with people, you know, people working longer, people living longer. I think they're just trying to help you know, help accommodate that. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, people that are yeah. behind the eight ball as far as maybe not saving as much, you know, they're trying to, you know, help as much as they can. Um, yeah. On that. I mean, unfortunately there's people that need to work beyond, well, maybe, maybe unfortunately, maybe they're happy to, but there's some people that have to work for financial reasons beyond age 70 and uh, previous legislation didn't allow for them to tuck money away tax efficiently in a deductible retirement plan. Um, but this law changes that. And so for the people that have earned income, beyond 70 and a half can put money in an IRA. We touched on earlier though, it's always been the case that someone who had a 401k through their employer uh, or a 403b, mm -hmm. I believe, mm -hmm. and was working for that employer beyond age 70 and a half, they could always continue putting money into that retirement account. This was just previously IRAs, which is the account that you do on your own and that's not through a company. Or, an, or a municipality or an employer, there were limits previously on that and you weren't able to put money into an IRA on your own post 70 and a half, but that's been eliminated. So now it aligns with 401ks and 403bs and employer sponsored plans right. because you are always able to put money in those if you were working and had taxable earnings beyond yeah. age 70 and a half. I never understood that, you know, yeah, why, that, why, that, why weird, that was even a rule. But, it was like uh, an anomaly. I think it was the only type of it, retirement correct. That account. Was, that was the only one that was limited by, by age. Because you can put money in a Roth can, after 70 and a half, right? Correct. Yeah. If you, again, if, you if have, you have, to have earned income. Earned yes. income. Yep. And so, you know, uh, pension income, social security income, portfolio income, uh, even though that those are taxable sources of income, those are not earned income. And even if you have income from those other sources, pension, social security, portfolio, right. retirement account, so et cetera. Wages, right. basically wages and self-employment are the two most common right. sources of earned income. Right, right. Yeah. And I was just, yeah. And maybe this goes without saying it has to be like, it has to be earned declared income. I was just talking to some high school kids and, and chatting with them about saving for retirement this past weekend. Um, and I, I felt like I needed to make the clarification that like if you're, for example, uh, gambling online and earning money from that or gaming, I guess is like the new way, babysitting, you know, nannying, anything that's under the table, meaning you're not declaring it as wages and you're not telling the IRS about it, which happens. We all know what happens. We all know people. No, we don't. Everybody should report. No, <laughs> everybody should, but we, but we know that it happens and that people, waitresses and things like that, receiving anyone receiving tips under the table. Um, mo I, most people that receive under the table income like that are not declaring them. I know that there are some that are, but um, I think a lot of people are not. So if you're if you have wages or if you have earned income, but you're not declaring it and and reporting it to the IRS and paying taxes on it, then it's not technically earned income for for purposes of being eligible to contribute to a retirement account. So just, maybe that goes without saying, but I just had to uh, clarify that. So. You know, one one other thing is that. Um, 
you know, it also it also works for uh, spouses. You know, so there's the you know spousal IRA contribution rule. Oh uh, yeah. Where, you know, if you're so oh, if, yeah. if you're married filing jointly, if um if if just one spouse is working, uh, you can if if there's enough income uh to, right. to make it work, uh you can you can make a contribution for the non-working spouse. Right. Uh, uh, as long as there's again enough income to to cover the the contribution, um, so theoretically, if you've got you know if, right. it, if you're a married couple and only one's working, you could do two IRA contributions, you know, up to the max uh, each year. You know, I was just having this conversation. I I went and visited a class at the high school, business class at the high finance class, excuse me, at the high school, and we were talking about. Um, I was educating them on, you know, what are retirement accounts and, and the importance of saving early and the importance of saving for your future and things like that. And one of the, um, one of the questions was from the student was like kind of twofold. It was, you know, do, when, when do most people retire? Well, part of the, one kid had the question, when do people retire? And the other kid said, who controls retirement, me or my employer, which I thought it was a mm. very interesting question. And someone that's 17, 18 might not know that. And that, I right. thought that was a really cool question. And of course, you know, explained that you control that. The Social Security Administration doesn't control that, though there are, you know, the limitations on when you can collect and things like that. And you're, you know, you, you basically you choose your own retirement, generally speaking, a financial um, obligation. Um, but um, part of the question was, when do people retire? And I said, in it's been my experience in the last, I don't know, several years, decade. It just seems to me that I'm having conversations with people about wanting to retire uh, maybe earlier than was historically normal. And I don't, I don't have any statistics to back that up. It just seems to me that people are, some of the people I work with um, are excited about retiring uh, earlier. They're, you know, they want to retire maybe earlier than, you know, I, I kind of use like 65 as an average um, retirement age for people. Um, you know, Social Security says full retirement ages for most people is 66 or 67. So like mid 60s has generally been um, an average retirement age for a long time. But it seems to me that I'm having discussions with people about wanting to retire before that. And can I afford to retire at 62 or 60 or 55 or, you know, and, and, um, and I, we kind of talked through that a little bit and, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, people are in, maybe things have changed over the years and people are in very stressful careers and commuting to the city gets, seems to get worse and worse and the stresses of that and, and the stresses that come along with, you know, many families that have two parents that are working and one of them's not necessarily home cooking dinner and, you know, not that that's all that, uh, that parents that stay at home do, but that's not what I meant. I just meant that there are additional stresses that come along with that. And, um, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, maybe those are some of the reasons that people are indicating that they kind of want to retire earlier, but also talking through that retirement um, isn't not isn't as black and white as people stop working and then there's no more earned income. You know, sometimes people sort of ease into it or they leave a stressful career and they do something different and they still earn money, but they do something different or they go or they go part time or per diem and you know, and so it's sort of changed. But anyway, we talked through that and and I was, you know, my point was that it it seems like retirement ages are 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 um uh, being lowered, uh, or people are at least trying to retire at an earlier than historically average age. And the, um, the teacher of the business class, my friend said, that's interesting because she had been reading that many people had to be retiring older and many people were working longer than was historically normal. And, and I said, you know what? I haven't, looked at statistics on that recently and that very well may be the case. But I, I and I was ex explaining that the type of people that I work with as a financial advisor are, um, they're a, they're a subset of the population that either has wealth or is motivated uh, to save more so that they can retire earlier uh, or they have wealth. So that translates or they, they've either built wealth or they've inherited wealth and that translates to their inability to want to retire earlier. So um, we were, I was just kind of talking through that and how I see I work with just a different subset of the, I work with a subset of the population and, and that those people are, are reaching for certain goals, but then there's this whole other subset of the population that I don't necessarily work with day to day that hasn't 
for whatever reason, hasn't positioned themselves um, in an ideal retirement situation and has to work longer than than historical norms. Maybe they're working into their 70s or God forbid 80s, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, maybe some people are happy to be working. I, I love working and I don't really envision stopping uh, fully anyway. But, um, you know, some people do it because they love it and they'd be bored otherwise. Uh, my dad's a great example well, of that. Well, that's good because you got about, you got so, about uh, 25 more years to go. A lot more years, yeah. yeah. But anyway, that and I guess I start. I launched into that because I think it's interesting. But I also think that this legislation is is like you said, trying to help those people that are are getting into their late sixties and 70, 70s and aren't yet ready financially to retire. Uh, and and it's aimed at helping them better their own financial situation and tuck more money away tax efficiently and and removing restrictions on being able to put money into an IRA after age 70 and a half. And so it's, it's, it's aimed at that, this particular component of the legislation. In other words, lifting the restriction of not being able to contribute to an IRA post 70 and a half. Did you, um, uh, did you touch on the limits, the actual dollars that you're allowed to put in? No, I was, I was, I went into a touchy feely conversation oh, about okay. retirement okay. ages and stuff like that. And, I'm more into the details. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, so if you're if you're 50 or older, uh, you can you can contribute up to seven thousand dollars a year uh, into you know into a deductible IRA. An IRA. Um, and so and as I said before, if you know if you're um, you know so for a married couple, they can each do seven thousand. So you know you can do up to fourteen thousand dollars a year, um, in, you know, into an IRA. And I, I don't think we want to get in too much of the details, but there are some. You just told me you love details. Oh well. Well, that was that was one detail. That was okay. a high level detail, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, your ability to actually deduct uh, depends on a few things. Um, you know, the one we mentioned. Oh, yeah. You know, one we mentioned is obviously you have to have, you know, earned income in that amount, uh, and you know that's that's number one. Uh, but then there's some other things as far as your. Like you can't also max a four hundred one k and max an IRA. Yeah. No. Right. If you yeah if if you're active in in a four hundred one k or a retirement plan. And then, then you have to look at your earned income uh, or your adjusted gross income, uh, and if you're above a certain level, yeah, uh, then you then technically you're you're not able to deduct uh, an IRA contribution. Yeah, or and even I, if your spouse has a right, 401k or, or and you're if, a high income earner, you yeah, can't if, put money in an IRA. Yeah, there's limits. Yeah. Right. So I don't I don't want to really get into that right now. Um, you know, that's you know that's a question for your accountant. Um, we're just talking about, yeah. you know, the fact that you can, you know, the availability of doing an IRA contribution past seven and a half is now now an option. Okay, let's talk about IRA distributions pre fifty nine and a half because there's a little bit of a change to that as part of the Secure Act. Yeah. Um, that generally speaking, the nature of a retirement account, not a Roth, but the the nature of most other other retirement accounts is that you are penalized from a tax perspective for taking a withdrawal before age 59 and a half. So retirement oh, accounts to a Roth too. for, well, you can take to, your principal earnings, out of, yeah. you can take your principal out yeah. of a Roth before 59 and a half after five years, but, um, but you're right, the earnings. So the nature of a retirement account is that it's savings for retirement. So there is a financial disincentive to taking money out before 59 and a half. And that's always been the case. Um, there are some exceptions to that. There's a new exception as part of the Secure Act uh, of 2019. There's a new exception to the 10. So the financial penalty for taking dollars out of a retirement account of, of any sort, except simples, that gets confusing. But um, generally speaking, the, the tax penalty for taking money out before 59 and a half is 10%. So if you're 50 and you want to buy a car and you're going to take money out of your retirement account to pay cash for a car, generally speaking, not maybe not a great idea, but you're going to pay taxes on every dollar you take out federal and state, if your state has income taxes as Massachusetts does, and you're going to pay a 10% uh, penalty to the federal government. So if you're in the 24% tax bracket, you're going to pay 34% in taxes to take it out and then uh, 5 Point one, right? Five point one percent or five two to Massachusetts. Um, there's a new exception to that. Um, there, there have always been some exceptions regarding disability and like, uh, like with the Rothers, like the first time home buyer. And um, there's some exceptions, but there's a new one as part of the Secure Act, and that's um, that uh, someone who has given birth to a child or adopted a child is now able to take up to $5,000 from an IRA um, 
in the 12 month period after the birth or adoption. So, and each spouse can do that and they can do that for each child. So you have a baby. Twins. Yep. Uh, that's right. Yeah. So like if you have a baby in 2020 and you had, uh, you have a baby in 2020 and you have a lot of medical, uh, expenses as a result of it, maybe you have a high deductible health plan. Maybe you didn't have enough in your HSA to cover it. You had to use some of your money for whatever reason, you know, kids cost money. There's, you know, you might need to buy a new car because you needed an SUV or you felt like you needed an SUV, whatever. Um, anyway, there's, you, you can now take money up to 5,000 per year. Uh, up to 5,000 after the birth for the 12 months immediately after the birth or the adoption of a child. And again, that's a per child limit and it's actually a per parent limit. So technically you could take 10,000 if you each had a retirement account, you and your spouse. Um, and if you, I guess if you had twins, you could double it because it's a per child limit. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's, Great. It removes it. You still have to pay taxes on the money that comes taxes, out. Taxes. Yep. Um, and but there's not that additional ten percent penalty. So this is a potentially a savings of five hundred bucks at the, at the most per instance because ten percent of five thousand um, in the form of elimination of that penalty. So I mean, generally speaking, not likely not ideal for people to be drawn out of their retirement accounts for kid related expenses. Um, you know, that can be a slippery slope if you're, if you're having to rely on that, like you should have emergency reserves and you should have, um, hopefully ideally planned for it in other ways. And, and, um, but for whatever that's worth for anyone that that might affect, people should just know that there is now an exception for retirement account distributions immediately, relatively soon after birth or adoption of a child. So that's kind of cool. Um, having said that, I would probably try to talk people out of it if there was any other way for them to pay those expenses or I, not. And I also yeah. read, um, I also read in, uh, that if, if you do that, you actually have the ability to put it back in. You yeah, can, you that's can, right. You can repay it, uh, repay yourself, um, you know, after the fact, uh, if, if you have that ability. And I don't know exactly what the time frame is. If well, there, there's if, no, there's no timing clarification yet. Okay. They're waiting for a treasurer regulation on that. Okay. There's no, I don't think it gives a limit on you have to put it back in with the next days or months. Okay. Um, so there is, but there is yeah. the possibility of putting that money back into your IRA or retirement plan if, if you if you do this. How many times in your career has someone said, I'm going to take this money out of my IRA and I'm going to put it back in? And how, what percentage of those people small, put it back in? Small percentage. It's so small. I actually, because there's always been, there's, there's always been this thing called the 60 day rule. Actually, that's changed a little bit in the last few years, but um even prior to the SECURE Act, people could take money out of a retirement account. And if you put it back in in 60 days, you could avoid that being a taxable event. If you took 10,000 out and put it 10,000 back in a month later, you didn't have to pay taxes on it when you go to get your tax, when you, whatever, you don't have to pay taxes on it. And um, that's always been the case. And there's limitations. You can only do that once per year and things. But um, there's just been so many times that people like have, they have great intentions, but you know, life happens and things don't always pan out. Or, or 60, day, 60 days goes by a lot quicker than they anticipated. Yeah. And, yeah. I think I've had in my career of, you know, there's not, I haven't had an, it's not incredibly frequent that people do this and think that they're, they're going to put it back. But, um, you know, I've had like one person in like 15 years actually put the money back. And I actually had one recently who she took several thousand out and she was like, something was waiting to be sold. And so she was putting it back in. And she contacted me like 75 days later and was like, I have the money. It finally sold. I'm ready to put it back in. And I said, oh, you know, you missed the window. But yeah. um, but she, we were able to do some other things and it ended up being okay. But yeah, like nobody ever puts, almost nobody ever puts the money back. If you do, great. And you avoided the taxes on it. Um, all right. We have like another minute and then we're going to get to our final segment here after the break. So um, we're talking about the SECURE Act setting every community up for retirement. Enhancement. Enhancement Act. I finally got it. And that's um, some retirement plan uh, legislation changes and some tax changes just passed here end of 2019. Some important stuff. Um, if you happen to, by the way, I haven't announced this recently, but if you happen to miss part of our show, this is pretty, I think this is pretty important stuff for people to know. Yeah, if one. you happen to miss the show, we always um, turn our radio shows into podcasts. So if you miss any of these details, you can always search your podcast app for McNamara on money. Um, and the podcast is uh, relatively early in the week. We get those pod, the radio show turned into a podcast and that's always available for your listening pleasure whenever is convenient for you. So search McNamara on money on 
your podcast app, whether you have an Android or a smartphone, and you'll find us. Um, so I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara uh, Financial in Marshfield and Chelmsford. You're listening to McNamara on Money. And I'm joined by my husband and business partner today, Kirk Reed, and we're talking about um, the new tax and, and retirement legislation changes, the SECURE Act. And it's kind of cool. I actually had fun going through this. We have one more segment. We're going to talk about some changes to small business retirement plans and setting up 401ks for small businesses and good stuff there. So we're just taking a quick break. I'm Melissa McDowell. <laughs> just give out the phone number. I don't know. It's, you know, take two, I had a take long, two. I, I, Can you do that? Like, yeah, I know. All right. Rewind. The, the, Rewind. Reverse. <laughs> the downfalls of recording live. Uh, pardon me for that. Um, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. Uh, we're not we're not always perfectly polished, but we do our best. Mm-hmm. Um, that just makes us real people, though, right? Isn't that, isn't, aren't we? That's right, we're real. Exactly. We're, going for the we're not machines. We're playing the empathy card here. No. Um, uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial. We have offices in Marshfield and Chelmsford. I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, and we're talking about, this is kind of fun. We're talking about, there's we don't have legislation changes in our world all that often, so kind of to, um, talk about what's new and what's changing is is kind of fun. I actually, I have like a 20-page document in front of me going through all the changes. And this isn't even the actual legislation. This is like a summary of the legislation, which is 20 pages, and I had to shrink the text. I think, um, yeah, I think I read the, that the actual document was like 500 pages. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah thank you. Because you mentioned about wanting to print it out, and I was like, I don't know Oh, about yeah, that. yeah. Thank goodness for people in our world who um, are professional bloggers for our industry and, um, and went, or journalists and stuff, too but I happen to, uh, there's a well-known blogger in our industry that I think does a really, really good and unbiased job of uh, summarizing in particular things like that. He does blogging about a lot of things in our industry, but um, uh, I'm so I'm, I'm working off of his summary. So I did not read the 500 page legislation, but or did I? this professional and, and very intelligent gentleman and or his staff did. So I think, yeah, this article, I think that actually was a staff it was not him. It yeah, well, I'm member, sure yeah. he doesn't do all of it himself. Yeah, yeah but anyway. Um, so we're talking about the SECURE Act, and this is uh, legis- new legislation in our world that was just passed at the end of 2019 here, right before the holidays, um, December of 2019. And um, so there's some changes that impact many Americans, and uh, some of them kind of significant and some of them kind of small, but uh, all in all, uh, for the most part, I think pretty good stuff in here. Um, and again, if you missed any of the show and you want to, uh, listen to more, um, regarding the RMD changes and pushing that to age 72, regarding the elimination of stretch IRAs that you inherit from non-spouse, um, those are some of the biggies. Um, you can, uh, download our podcast, McNamara on money on your podcast app. All right. So just a couple, um, relatively small changes, I think that, um, are part of this legislation relate to, Retire, uh, employers setting up retirement plans and some of them geared towards small businesses and encouraging small businesses to set up retirement plans for their employees. So I think the, the root of these legislation changes is awesome. The reason for this is awesome. And I hope that this legislation um, is successful in its endeavor to encourage employers to offer retirement or more employers to offer retirement savings options for employees. So I would just like back up a a step. Um, Not all, everyone's heard the term 401k, right? It's just a, it's just a retirement and even maybe 403b, they're retirement savings accounts for people that, and they happen to be uh, provided by an employer. So um, I don't know the statistics. I think many large employers offer retirement plans for their employees. Um, they do it for um, retention reasons, like some some companies that have, um, you know, like if if you have if you're a large company and you have executives that you want to retain and employees that are very important to you, and you're competing with other companies. Um, 
for talent, then offering a competitive retirement plan to your employees is important. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to offer benefits to your employees so that you can retain employees. So, I mean, part of this is employee retention, part of it, uh, part of a 401k. The reason for a 401k being offered is because maybe the owners, owner or owners want to contribute themselves. So could it be for selfish reasons? Maybe that's okay. But, um, and could it be that that's just the right thing to do? Yeah. But, um, you know, people should understand that setting a a company, setting up a 401k, it, it costs the company money. There are administrative charges associated administrative costs associated with a a business setting up a retirement plan for its employees. Yes, I think it's the right thing to do for a business that can afford it to any, that can afford it. You know, I understand that some, you know, new businesses and things need time to get up and running and uh, be be profitable. And I understand all that, but um, uh, it does, but but employees, people need to understand that it, that it's, um, it does cost the company money. And, and that's, I think primarily the reason that not all employers offer a retirement plan for their employees, couple that with the fact that maybe some employers just don't know about them or they don't know how to do it or they don't know, maybe they, they're not, uh, they don't understand the importance yet of saving for retirement. I mean, there could be lots of reasons, but um, but I think primarily it's a financial reason that, that there are administrative costs because employers have to ensure that there are regulations that employers have to comply with. Uh, um, 401ks, for example, need to um, adhere to certain rules. In other words, you know, there are top heavy rules and things like that where a 401k, there are limitations regarding um, uh, like who can who needs to be offered to participate in the 401k you keep employers can't discriminate and offer it to a certain uh, one employee and not the other if they're making the same amount of money and right, um, so you, yeah so you need to in in most most of these rules are so complicated and 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 ever changing right. that it makes sense to you, you know you pay somebody you pay a 401k administrator, right, administrator yeah. that's going to keep an eye on it and make sure making sure that you that you are you know giving the right access to the right people and and maybe denying it or 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 limiting it to other people based on certain rules, and you know, so you're going to pay this at you know, pay a 401k um, admin X number of dollars, and, right. and so as you said, that might be part of the reason you know that they don't want to do it is they don't maybe they don't don't have the money or right. or don't want to pay it or whatever it is. Right. I mean, and it could be on on the order of thousands of dollars per year. I mean, it's not it can be quite expensive for employers. It could be a lot more than that for really large companies that have huge 401k plans. Right. Cuz it's um, just it's just too much for for somebody to do on their own. They they need, you really need to hire some for especially for yeah. larger companies, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, and I mean I think essential like essentially the government didn't didn't want like a 401 like the executives in a company contributing a whole bunch of money to their 401k plans but then the company doesn't pay the rest of the staff enough money then they can't afford to contribute to the 401k and they the government was trying to like avoid things like that where where plans were what they call top heavy right so there's all these um there's all these uh uh, restrictions regarding or, or uh, details that plan the 401k plans have to adhere to. Anyway, that's why they're costly. Anyway, um, the they're under the Secure Act. There's some increased. There's some better tax credits for small businesses to encourage those small businesses to set up and offer retirement plans for their employees. So, I mean, having we you know I launched into that discussion about 401ks, but long story short, not all employees have a 401k or the like. There are there are simple IRAs, there are SEP IRAs, there are other types of retirement accounts, but um, not all employees have an option available to them through their employer. And, and by a far and wide, a, an employer, generally speaking, I should say, an employer-sponsored retirement plan is the most convenient and the best place for someone to save their money for retirement, their primary retirement dollars, because number one, it's convenient. It comes right out of their paycheck. They can set it up on auto. And number two, the limits in terms of how much you can put into a 401k and a simple are higher than the limits of the amount of money that you can put into an IRA on your own and take a deduction for. So for those two reasons, um, generally speaking, 
the peop- it's it's better i think in it's better for people to contribute their the lar- the large majority of their retirement dollars through their employer sponsored plan if their employer has a plan right there's always an option for people that don't have a plan uh, through their employer but i think you know because it's convenient and because it's um you, there are high limits to it an employer sponsored plan is a great way for people to save money and so the government is trying to encourage more employers to offer these plans right. and so now they're like they're previously uh and so now there's like there's a new um there's a new tax credit for people who for small businesses i think which is defined as the big businesses with 100 or fewer employees um there's a new tax credit. Previously, the tax credit was like 500 bucks per year for a small business to set up. So in the year that a small business set up a retirement plan for its employees, um, they could receive a $500 tax credit. And then for, I think, each of three years, like the next year and then the year after, if, as long as they maintained the plan, they could get that $500 credit. That credit is now increased and it's based on the number of employees that the plan is offered to. I mean, again, then there's discrimination rules around that. Employers can't discriminate. They can discriminate based on full-time, part-time, and that's changed a little bit, but um, they can, uh, now companies can get up to $5,000 per year of a tax credit. Again, that's, they have to have, they have to have like more than, I don't know, 25 or 30 employees to get the full 5,000 a year um, credit, but the, 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 tax credit for available to small businesses that are newly setting up a retirement plan is better. Right. So it's worth um, looking into. Yeah. If, yeah. If, you, if you're, if you've been thinking about it or on the fence, uh, it might make sense to, to give it another look. Yeah. And there's some, there's some calculations involved with like how much is my tax credit. It depends on how many employees, the, uh, how many, excuse me, non highly compensated employees the plan is offered to. And there's all, there's all definitions of that. Um, but yeah, enhanced tax credit to encourage small businesses to offer um, a new retirement plan to its employees. And piggybacking off of that, there's an additional tax credit for small businesses, again, businesses with 100 or fewer employees, to set up what's called auto-enrollment. And I think that this is awesome. I think that auto-enrollment is- I think it's a great idea. Awesome, yeah. I mean, so- um, just to back up one second, um, one second, I tend to be so long-winded. It's going to be a couple minutes here. <laughs> Just to back up, no, really quickly, I'll do it quickly because um, we are running a little bit low on time. But mo- uh, previously, and I think still currently, most employers that offer a 401k or a retirement plan to its employees, the plan is like an opt-in plan where employees have to opt into participation. They have to fill, I was gonna say raise their hand, but they literally have to fill out paperwork, either electronically or physically, give it to HR or submit the paperwork to the institution or whatever. There's a process where they have to opt in and say, I would like to participate and here is the percentage of my paycheck that I want you to direct to my 401k. So uh, that's generally speaking the default. What, What this legislation, Legislation is trying to change is for more 401 or more employer sponsored retirement plans to be opt out plans or otherwise known as auto enrollment plans, where the default is that new employees hired, you're in the 401k. Sometimes there's a waiting period of like six months or whatever, but you would, after that waiting period, if applicable, you are in the 401k and we are deferring a certain percentage. We'll talk about the changes to that in a second until you say no. So it, they're trying to change it so that everyone is in the 401k by default, but an employee can always opt out. Of course, right. an employee can say, no, thank you. I don't want to, I can't afford whatever. They don't necessarily, they don't have to give a reason. It's just, they would opt out. I mean, in the, in the yeah, no, you know, knowing human nature, right? A lot of, there's a lot of inertia, right? In the world. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so if, if, if we, if, if a company, can kind of get them going. Ch- chances are they're probably just going to let it go because of, because of inertia, or you know they'll just say, okay, right. that's great, or I, I don't know the time to to stop it, and you know, and I'm happy that it's you know it's going, and or it's it's a great way to just build a good habit, um, you know. So if a company can do that for an employee that you know doesn't have maybe doesn't have a lot of education in in the uh, investment world or the retirement world yep. it's a great way to get them started um it's awesome yeah yeah i think that this is the greatest piece of legislation i mean this doesn't make every 401k auto 
enrollment but or it, opt out, but it encourages it's incentivizing employers to it, set companies out, yeah. to, to to add it as part of their plan. It's an additional tax credit for small businesses, even like for us, for example, we have a we've offered a four hundred one k to our employees for probably forever. Or as long forever, well, as long as we've had employees for a while, it was just my dad, but. Yeah. Um, We've always offered a 401k to our employees or a retirement plan of some sort. If we switch ours to auto enrollment, like in 2020, we'll get a tax credit right. and we'll get one for every year after that. I'm sorry, up to three years, not every year, up to three years after that. That's a small tax credit, 500, another 500 bucks a year, but still it's a little bit of an incentive for employers, small businesses to make that switch. I think auto enrollment is a fantastic because mo let me think about when most people get their first jobs, they're like 22 years old. And you know the reason we do the smart money fair is because there's not a lot of teenagers and early twenty somethings who know anything about the importance of saving money, the importance of saving for retirement, especially which is such a foreign concept when you're twenty. Mm. And there's not a lot of education in our society on personal finance and the importance of this stuff. So the fact that auto enrollment is it for it will force people into good savings habits. They can certainly opt out, but it will force them into quite honestly, doing the right thing. I don't, there's not many people that would argue with that, but so, that's the right thing is to be saving 10%, 15% so I mean, of your pay. I mean, in our opinion, it's right. It's a win-win for yeah. the employer because you're, you're, you're helping your employees create good long-term habits yeah. and you're getting paid to do it. Now, yes. you're, now you're getting paid by the government to, to do it. Yeah. Um, Five, 500 bucks. Well, yeah, but over, yeah, but over, but over three years, three it's, years. it's 1500, yep. you know, so yep. that's something. Yep. Um, yeah, so, and then, and then actually part of this Secure Act legislation is that not only is there a tax credit for uh, small businesses changing their retirement plans to auto enrollment, which is the opt-out one, which is, I think, the, the best one, the good one, they're also allowing employers, so employers, once they switch their plan to auto enroll, they decide what the auto enrollment percentage is. And previously, the limit to that was 10%. So an employer could set auto enrollment at 3% or at 5% or at anything up to 10%. All the way up to 10. Now, employers can, they've increased the limit and employers can now set auto enrollments as high as 15%. You know what target we give? I personally give young people when I, when they say how much should I be saving, I say ten to fifteen percent mm -hmm. of your salary. The old of gross, the old rule of thumb was ten percent. So this align that aligned with that for a long time. But guess what? Pensions are going by the wayside for many occupations, many uh, private private businesses anyway. Mm -hmm. Frozen pensions, no more pensions, and Social Security. Something's got to give there. Maybe it's just taxes are being raised. But if that starts being means tested or if cost of living uh, adjustments start being eliminated or reduced, like those benefits are going to pay less and less and less of someone's actual and just, need. And just the cost of living is always ever increasing. And, yeah. And, yeah. and people, all that boils down to, you need to save more money. You need to be responsible for your own self and save your money for your own retirement. So anyway, I think this auto enrollment thing is cool. I think that em employers being able to uh, increase it to 15% is cool and of course, like I said, um, and by cool, I mean beneficial to most Americans. Um, and and of course people can reduce that percentage. They can log into their account or they can notify their HR to reduce the amount that comes out or they can eliminate it completely. It's their choice, but it, it, it puts the, um, it transitions the work to, well, I shouldn't say that, that was, that was gonna be wrong. I mean, it, 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 um, th I just think the default is is better now that the, by default someone is now saving in a 401k as soon as they're hired or whenever that um, waiting period passes. So that's awesome. More employer-sponsored retirement plans should transition to auto enrollment with, I think, and I think a 10 or 15% cap is great. Let someone, let someone decide that that's too much for them. Right. Um, and like you said, you were talking about inertia and like people either, what will happen is people either won't know it's happening. How many people look at their pay stub and fully understand everything that's going on in your pay stub? How many people even look at their pay stub? Maybe initially you do, but you know, people either won't know it's happening or won't maybe won't know how to change it or maybe don't know that they can change it. Right. Or and, and this is like people should understand what people should understand these things. But my point is, even if people don't understand it, which will be common, 
it's still better for them, right? That because because it, they're 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 it, going, it, yeah. They're they're uh, exhibiting good investor and savings behavior, even if they don't know it or understand it. Um, so yay, I I love this part of the legislation. Even I, like I said, it doesn't force it doesn't force all retirement plans to auto enrollment, but it's encouraging people to. It's encouraging, excuse me, small businesses to switch to that. And as I was going through this legislation, I shot an email to my brother, who's the one that administers the four hundred one k in our small business, and I said. We're switching to auto enrollment. We're going to get a five hundred dollars tax credit. Yeah. Um. This year, next year, and the year after. Um. And so, and I was serious. And I and I fifteen percent for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, I mean, I, I I think that's a great example of I think auto enrollment is awesome. Why don't we have auto enrollment in our four hundred one k? I don't think we do. Right. I, Justin administers that. I honestly that, don't know the answer to that. I don't think we do. It's we have an opt in. And listen to how passionate I am about right. how auto enrollment is amazing. We don't even have it in our office, but this little incentive here. And I even emailed him and I said, you know, it's only 500 bucks, but why not? It's 500 bucks and, you know, per year times three, like you said. And it's a little catalyst for employees to, or employers, in this case, small businesses, um, to take advantage of something and do the right thing in the long run for for employees, and um, so also that's great, and also the the you know the additional tax credits of for small businesses to establish four hundred one ks that don't already have them is is awesome, you know, to slightly offset the cost at least for a few years, um, but to slightly offset the cost of of offering those plans to. Um, to their employees. And, and I think that's great as well. And I think it's probably, you know, it's common for large businesses to have 401ks and like for reasons we talked about before and they, you know, um, but, but a lot of small businesses don't. And, and, you know, I'll just digress a little bit that even if, even if your company, even as, as a result of this doesn't set up a, a retirement plan and offer that to you, you always have options for saving for retirement. Don't use that as an excuse to not save for your own retirement. You always have an option for saving. Maybe it's not the, the most ideal from a tax perspective or a savings limit perspective, but you always have options and that should never be an excuse for someone. Now I've said my part. All right. Okay. What I, else? And I know there's maybe one or two more things that are important. This one's not that important, but I just thought it was yeah. amazing. Uh, just kind of funny. So as part of the SECURE Act, there are no more 401k credit cards. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I was like, I've never even heard I've of that. I've never heard and of that either. And that's like a terrible, that's a terrible thing. Like, yeah, like how could they even do that? You credit card to borrow from your 401k. Appar yeah, apparently that, Just yeah. Make it and even really the article easy. says, they were like, awful. yes, this really was a thing. Like, I've never heard of that. And, awful, but that's, awful. Okay, so that's yeah. good. Those are, those are gone. <laughs> yeah, awful. Um, how about the... Um, uh, 529 plans. There, there was a, there's yeah. a, there's a small change small, to, yep. to 529 plans, uh, basically saying uh, now you can use up to, let's see, up to $10,000 uh, a year. Nope, total lifetime max. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yep, yep, okay. $10,000 yep. total uh, to pay back uh, student loans. Yeah. Uh, in the past, it had been, you know, you, if you're going to use 529 money, a qualified expense was only to use for like, you know, current, you know, current year, you know, tuition um, yep. and, and other, you know, related expenses. Uh, you couldn't use it to pay back uh, loans. So they did, they did add some provision uh, to that. Uh, so up to $10,000. Up to 10000 Lifetime, life, excuse me, lifetime max per beneficiary. Per beneficiary. So like if you have a 529 plan and your daughter is the beneficiary, and you and I were talking yesterday about this. First of all, I think that this is, okay, this is great. But I was saying that how many people get their kids through college and number one, have money left in their 529. Mm -hmm. And number two, if there's money left, why would there be student loans? That, that's what I don't like. There's a little bit of a disconnect for me. You said you had a personal experience where yeah. this would actually be helpful. So that's great. Like, I think this is, it's great. There's nothing wrong with it. I just think that it's not going to really affect anyone. Like mo most people, congratulations if you have money left in your 529 when your kid is through his, his well, or her educational I guess, experience. I guess, a, I guess an example but, is, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe you, maybe you made an agreement ahead of time with your child that they were yeah. going to, they were going to pay, they were going to take out loans of X in right. their name right. and the parents were going to pay the rest. And so maybe, maybe they did that for a couple of years and maybe, the, maybe the student then drops out 
And so maybe maybe the student has accrued some loans. Okay, fair enough. And, like and, if they and didn't finish. But there's still money in the 529 because they didn't go all four years. And so now theoretically you could use that money to pay off the loans or some of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, One I think, example. don't get me wrong. I think it's great. I think there's not... Like I don't see a I don't see a downside to this. I think it's great. I don't think it'll negatively affect anyone. I just think it's probably pretty rare that someone has money left in a 529. First of all, Fine. and second of all, that the people that have money left in their 529, their kids don't have loans. But anyway, 10,000 lifetime max can go to pay from a 529 can go to pay off pay, or pay down education loans only, no other types of loans, qualified education loans. Uh, 10,000 per beneficiary, but like if you have four kids, you can do 10,000 per kid. Right, or even what if it was like a parent loan? Yeah, this doesn't say that. Doesn't this say. just says it's the, the legislation indicates uh, it's a per beneficiary limit. Um, in addition, 10,000 may be distributed as, a, as qualified educa education loan repayment to satisfy outstanding student debt for each of a 529 plan beneficiary's siblings. Okay. Having said that, we know in our world how easy it is to change a 529 plan beneficiary. You can change it to your to an adult. Like you could um, change it to like your cousin and then pay off some of their loans and then that sibling's loans and then maybe change it back. That that I don't know. Yeah, I don't okay. know that those specifics have yet been addressed and and like what happens is legislations uh, changes are made, and then there will need to be clarification uh, regulations uh, post legislation change. So, um, and I think that might be one of them because this doesn't address um, all those specifics. Because yeah, you and I know that like you can a five twenty nine beneficiary can be changed with no tax consequences as many times. Um, as someone prefers, it's literally just paperwork and it can be changed to anyone in the extended family. It doesn't just have to be your immediate family. It can go up or down generations. It can go to cousins, aunts, uncles, things like that. So pretty cool as a, it's a whole nother show, uh, but pretty cool. So we, we have um, less than two minutes. We have less than two minutes. Uh, if you want to um, do one more or just kind of do a quick recap. Uh, one more is the Katie tax. Okay. okay so, and, and uh, this one's super complicated, but a, a couple of years ago, the um, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act changed what we call the kitty tax rules. Basically any, any kid who had an investment account in his or her social security number, earnings on that investment account were taxed previously, rewind five, three or four years at the parents tax rate. Parents could be high income earners, whatever. But a couple years ago, it reverted to be being taxed at trust tax rates, which were super high. Much so higher. a couple years ago, kids that had investment accounts in their own social security numbers were paying really high taxes on earnings. That has been revoked. And so even retroactively, you can amend your tax returns for 18 and 19. For These are for kids that have like UTMAs and lots of money in there that have earnings that are taxable. It's now reverting back to being taxed at the parents' rate, which is great. It's higher than the kids' rate, but it's lower than trust lower than rates. Trust, yeah. And um, and actually, that can be retroactive. You can you can amend back to eighteen, nineteen. Talk to your CPA on that one if your kid has like forty grand or more in a UTMA and and it's invested in earning money. That was super fun show. Thank you for listening, everyone. I'm invigorated. I hope you are as well. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. You've been listening to McNamara on Money. That was the Secure Act of 2019. I hope it was educational. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye bye.